How's it going, everybody? It's Miguel, Charlie, and Haley here, back together again. It's been a minute. Yeah, the trio. All right. I'm really happy to have all of us here again today. This is The Future Belongs to Creators, in case you don't know where you are. That's where you are. (laughs) (laughs) We today are going to be talking about budgeting time and money as creators, which can look differently depending on if it's more of a side hustle for you, if it's your full-time gig, if you are by yourself, if you have business partners. So we're going to kind of get into all that and look at different perspectives today. But before we get into all that, I wanted to do a little bit of a have you heard. And since I'm the host, I get to pick on somebody and make them go first and it doesn't have to be me. (laughs) Oh, no. So, uh, well, Haley said, oh, no. So that sounds really great. I'm going to go with Haley. Dang it. Well, see, here's the truth of this. The truth is, is that I've been out with COVID and I was uh, that bad C word. I call it actually the Vegas vid because my husband brought it back from Vegas. A little souvenir for you. Yeah. Yeah. A little souvenir (laughs) for me. So I came, came unprepared. And then Charlie was like, oh, oh, I've got something. She's like, Instagram is focusing on NFTs. And then we looked back at the post and it turns out this information is actually from May, but still (laughs) new to us. And then Miguel made a great point, which is like, yeah, but have you heard about it? So it doesn't... (laughs) Clearly not in a month. So... Doesn't quite matter. (laughs) Yeah. You might not be getting the latest news in this segment, people, but you might hear something that you maybe also hadn't heard before. (laughs) And I'm going to be completely transparent. I don't know all the details. Charlie told me to keep it high level. Here's the deal. Instagram is... (laughs) Who even knows what NFTs are anyway? Shall I take over? (laughs) Shall I take over? (laughs) No, no. Instagram is going to be prioritizing NFTs for creators as an additional place where you can share your work as a creator. That's the gist of it. Obviously, you can take a look at that on Instagram now. (laughs) but there you go. Yeah, I think they're going to do something kind of like how Twitter has this. I don't know if you've ever noticed, probably not considering you two don't really hang out on Twitter like I do, but you can have your profile picture as an NFT that you own and then it appears as a little hexagon instead of a circle so that everyone knows that you paid good money for this JPEG as opposed to the circle people who didn't pay anything for this. (laughs) So I wonder if that might be something similar. You know, when it comes to the NFT thing, I feel like, I'm getting into the part of my life where I'm slowly becoming that old man that yells at people <laughs> to get off their lawn because it's like yelling at clouds. <laughs> right. Because like I kind of get it, but part of me is just like, I don't get this shit. I think it's kind of dumb. So it's just like, this is what like an old man must have felt like when he saw like a Game Boy in the 80s. Yes. He was just been like, these damn kids and you know, this is going to go away. This is stupid. This doesn't make any sense. You so know, bad. You know, so like, <laughs> Part of me is like, is NFTs, are they going to stick around? Are they not? It looks like they are. Maybe I'm just being ignorant. I probably am. But it's just like, I feel like I've done research into what NFTs are. And at at the end of reading it, I'm like, oh, that's what it is. And then like three days later, (laughs) I forget what it is. Like, I just won't stay in there in my head. But anyways, oh, can I digress for a second? So I thought you said that your husband brought back COVID from Vegas. I thought what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. I love how you had to cycle back to make that joke. (laughs) That's really good. Unfortunately, this situation does not apply. Turns out that's bullshit. (laughs) Turns out that was complete bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) Because the Vegas Just like NFTs, it all connects. Yep. The Vegas vid got on the plane, (laughs) drove home from the airport to my house. And it came here. 
So, well, I guess that there you go. I mean, it's that COVID is that tenacious that it ignores <laughs> the old adage <laughs> we are no about Vegas. So, uh, Charlie, what is your have you heard? So, I heard something very exciting actually just this morning on Twitter that relates to what we're talking about today to do with money. Ooh. And that is that in the UK, and I think soon to be in the EU, I think this person said from July 1st, it is now illegal for clients to have payment terms longer than 30 days. So like for them not to pay you as a contractor, as a freelancer for your services within 30 days. Wow. So many clients were like brands that I've worked with as a creator have like net 60, net 90 payment terms, net 40 even is too much for me. And it's just really frustrating to like do the work and then not be paid for it for several months, you know, because you start to lose track of it. It's really hard to like manage your cash flow. So I think this is a really good, important change coming in that keeps those things being shorter and means that brands don't have excuses anymore not to pay you faster. Mm, I love that. That's amazing. I have experienced though that on the opposite side, at least for creator sessions, we have to go out, we would go out and get publishing rights, right? So we would reach out to the publishers and the publishers represent writers and da, 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 da. I am telling you, I swear we paid half of our legal fees and just reaching out to try to get the publishers to send us an invoice. We're like, please send us an invoice so we can pay you. I think the 30 days starts from the day you get the invoice. So I will still say that that part is on creators still to like send the invoice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, that is, that is crazy. Uh, I can't imagine what it must be like for a creator. I mean, maybe you can tell me because I'm sure you've experienced it, Charlie, but somebody's like, Hey, do this work for me. You do this work they start benefiting from your work the moment you deliver it. And then you're like, hey, is it okay if I get paid now? Or like, I don't know, it's just, just such a shitty situation to be in. Yeah. As a creator, it just feels terrible, I imagine. It does. And I usually, we don't need to go into all this. I think we talked about it in our episode with Justin Moore about brand deals, but I like to require payment up front. <laughs> that has been a problem for some brands. Basically, in that episode, if you want to go back and listen to it, Justin gave me a talking to about how I shouldn't be so difficult, perhaps, if I want to work with brands again. And I was like, good point. <laughs> good point. Good point. But yeah, it is a thing. <laughs> there, there's something to be said about that, though, right? Like, it, what is the argument? Maybe there is one and I'm not thinking of it. What is the argument for telling a creator that I will pay you after you deliver? Why? I don't go to an Apple store and say, you know what? I'm going to buy this MacBook, but... I'm going to pay you later for it. I'm going to try it out and start seeing the benefits of having this MacBook. And then when I get around to it, I'll give you the money. It's like, no, you require payment up front. And then you then enjoy the thing that you paid money for. Why is this like you're at a restaurant, yeah, like ordering food and then paying at the end? Like that's bullshit. I think it's because it's a service. So it's like you can give somebody somebody money and that doesn't mean they're going to deliver. Yeah, it's like a security thing. You're right. Yeah, it's a security thing. So I think I personally think the best way to approach this is 50%, right? It's like a midway point. It's you're both, you both have skin in the game. You say 50% up front and then you say 50% mm -hmm. the rest of upon delivery or within 30 days of delivery. Right. So I would agree with that if they have invoices and then you're both you're both invested and you're not going to waste your time creating content that you don't get paid for. And they're not going to pay you for content that you don't create. Mm -hmm. That feels fair. 
That does feel fair. We've just solved it. There we go, people. There we Miguel, go. what's your have you heard? <laughs> Here we go. So my have you heard is, and I think I mentioned this before, but this is sort of the follow-up. So if you may remember that I mentioned before that Facebook, Meta, Instagram, they said in the early days of the pandemic that it would not take a cut of creators' revenue from Facebook and Instagram to help small businesses. And they said that for at least the next year, well, now they've confirmed that that benefit will extend until at least 2024. Mm. So it's great for creators who are on those platforms, but I think it's also a way of, you know, there, there's a business reason for it, I'm sure, is to get people to be on those platforms and establish themselves on those platforms because, hey, I'm getting all the money from it. And when they decided, you know, sort of open the valve and start taking money, well, then they're, uh, you know, these people are kind of like intertwined in those platforms and it's hard to leave. But still, hey, that means creators get more money now, which is obviously a good thing. Mm. Definitely. I love that they're doing that. I think when we talked about this last, I said like surprising for Meta. <laughs> and that is my reaction yeah. now too. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to Meta, I never jumped to the idea that the motivation is out of the pureness of their hearts. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh, they just love creators so much. They're just falling on that sword for them. That's so cool. Yeah. Bleeding heart, Mark Zuckerberg over here. <laughs> but we can move on from that. All right. So let's get into the uh, topic today, which is, you know, budgeting your time and money as a creator. So let's just start by saying, so for most people, budgeting is pretty straightforward, right? You've got your income, you've got your personal expenses, and you hopefully have enough left over in that equation to save or spend on things that you enjoy, like travel or products or whatever, going out to eat. But month to month is typically pretty predictable. You kind of know how much money's coming in. You know how much money is being expected of you, whether you're paying your mortgage or whatever it is. And then sometimes things can come up and hopefully you can kind of roll with the punches there. But for creators, that's often not the case, right? So income is not a steady stream as we kind of already talked about. You're sending invoices, people aren't paying you. Maybe they are paying you. Maybe you don't aren't getting as much work this month as you did last month. So there's fluctuations in income is my point. So as a creator, your life is your business and you have to plan accordingly with budgets for the year, revenue goals, income projections, which all sound like very, very difficult terms to understand. But also you have to save money for taxes, which I've always thought that was something you kind of take for granted is like, oh, I have to take everything that I owe, like I make and take whatever percentage of that, usually something around 30 something percent and just stash it away for that point in time where I have to give it all to the government, which is <laughs> kind of shitty. <laughs> it's kind of like out of mind as somebody who's like a salaried employee, it just gets taken out of my income and I don't have to worry about it. So I've always thought that that would be something, at least mentally, it's difficult for me to have to do that. Like, there's this money pot that I have that I can't touch is mm. kind of crappy. Mm. So that kind of like lays it out. So things to consider is what was things that you might consider as a creator is what will happen if I don't get my money back? So you've put money into a business, you've invested in it. So what will happen if you don't get a return on investment? You know, you buy supplies, you invest in an edu education, like a course or something like that to get an idea going. So if you don't recoup that, like, what does that mean for you as your business? Now, I know Haley, you and Charlie have both, well, Charlie currently is a business. We were just talking about that before this episode. <laughs> Charlie Marie Limited is a business. Yes. And then Haley, you were telling us before. And I am the only employee. <laughs> yeah. You employ Charlie, which is pretty obvious, I guess. But And Haley, I know that you, you've done like Happy Happy Houseplant before and you had a business partner and you told us that 
you're kind of gearing up for something in the future here and you are doing that with a partner as well, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're going into business for yourself and you think about these things, like what's going through your head when you're starting something up and you're thinking about what I have to invest in it, you know, money, time, Mm -hmm. like how do you guys decide how to balance those things? And where's the line? When do I... Like, you know, when I'm starting something, where, where's where's the, the cutoff for how much time and money I'm going to... How much you should, yeah. I think my approach to this has changed, like would change if I was starting something now compared to when I actually started out with my side projects. I remember like something in what you were saying, Miguel, made me think. I spent so long using this like pretty crappy free e-commerce platform to sell my t-shirts back when I had my t-shirt company, because I didn't want to spend anything on my business if I wasn't sure absolutely that I was going to make it back. And so I just didn't want to be spending even like 15 bucks a month on a tool without knowing that I was going to make that money back somehow. I didn't do a big bulk order of t-shirts or anything. I would always purchase the materials and print them to order whenever I got one come in. So it was very like, is that cash flow positive? I don't know, like um, coming into the business. I didn't have to invest my own money into it. I missed a lot of time. but not the money. (laughs) Nowadays, I feel like because I am earning much more, I'm further in my career, you know, than I was when I started this thing in university back then, I would definitely feel confident and comfortable taking some of the like income that I have once all the bills are paid, you know, like the, like you said, Miguel, the restaurant money and the buying things, buying products money. And I would invest that in my business because I feel like if it's something that I want to do, it's like an investment in myself. And that even if it doesn't work out, my bills have been paid. That was extra money that I chose to spend in this way, perhaps rather than going out to eat that week. That would be kind of how I would think about it if I was getting started again. Hmm. How are you doing, Haley? My first thought, Miguel, when you were talking about this, is that I think that there's this mindset that every entrepreneur has to have that is regardless of what it is that you're doing, whether you're starting like a direct-to-consumer physical product business or you're starting something like Charlie's business, you know, that's a little different, a little bit more digital. But you have to be willing to lose the money and you have to be confident Mm -hmm. that you're going to make the money back. I feel like it's twofold. So for me... For me, it's interesting because I'm in a partnership where my husband, we see money very, very differently. So there can definitely be conflict there at times because I am, my husband's very risk averse and I am very risky. So I'm willing to just be like, yeah, like I'm so confident that I'm going to make this money back, that I don't care. Like I will just take the money so long as all of my bills are like how our household bills and things like that are paid, you know? Yeah, you cover the baseline first. And we're also, as a result of my husband's like neuroses, I think that's a word I use it a (laughs) lot, but as a result of that, we use an app called Every Dollar. It's a Dave Ramsey app, actually. And we literally itemize every dollar that we spend. It's like down to like, we have, oh, this grocery trip is going to be $250, which by the way, no grocery trips are $250 when you have three children, a family of five <laughs> and what, children that are like growing massively. I'm like terrified of the the teenage years. The teenage years. Yes. <laughs> All that to say, we are really specific like with our budget. So whatever is left over after all of our like every little tiny detail in our budget is consumed, then we make a decision on where that money goes. And then I have to make a case 
it's easy for me to make a case to myself, but I have to then therefore make a case to my husband and say, I want to invest this money in X, Y, or Z. And it's the same, like we ha- we just have that discussion. And so I guess my point in sharing this is that obviously you have to be smart with your finances, but also you have to be one willing to lose the money because sometimes things don't always pay off like in a one-to-one or pay off immediately. Like education, for example, if you're investing in a course, education's not going to pay off in a certain, you know, it might not pay off in six months. Maybe it pays off in two years, you know, something like that. Or much longer if the education is a four-year degree. (laughs) Exactly. But the other thing is, is that you just have to be comfortable with losing money. Like, I feel like it being an entrepreneur is not a safe career choice, right? It is something where there are going to be fluctuations. And if you expect that you're going to get that dollar value back, like a tangible, you know, you invest $100, you're going to make $100 back, then maybe entrepreneurship just isn't for you. That's just my take on it. Hmm. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. So from what I'm hearing you say is starting a business, entrepreneurship in general is a risk forward venture, right? You know, you are, mm-hmm. you are making a bet. You're betting that something that you are producing or something that you are working on is going to be something that people are interested in and are willing to pay money for. You might be right about that. You might be very wrong about that, but I mean, and that's why businesses succeed or they don't. Right. So yeah, that's really interesting as a, cause as somebody that's starting up something, I imagine, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I imagine that most people, I mean, that's why it's called a side hustle. That, that that means that it's something that you're doing on the side. So there is something that you are primarily doing. And now that you are allocating time and resources on the side, so something will get going. So people are choosing to risk their free time and their mm. excess money into something that will hopefully bear fruit for them. Maybe for some people, that means leaving the steady money and the cushy job with the benefits for something a little bit more risky, but in the long term might pay off more, might be more fulfilling for them. Mm. This is going to be a really interesting, an example that I might totally fumble through, but I'm going to take a whack at it. Okay. Do it. I'm going to take a whack at it. You are very risk averse. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) risky. Haley's risky. You're right. That's your husband's (laughs) risk averse. That's right. This is actually a kind of a contradiction to my husband, honestly, in some cases. But for example, if you're in the United States, right, most everybody knows that we have retirement programs. Those retirement programs, like the most traditional retirement programs are like 401ks, right? And if you look at the history of the stock market, even when the stock markets have crashed, it's unfortunate if you end up like at like your retirement age and you end up at a crash like that really blows. But, and I, like I said, I'm going to fumble through this a little bit, but it's like over the course of a 20 year period, the graph, right, is always going up and to the right. And so there's going to be moments where you have down moments. So you've invested money into your 401k. And if you look at it, if you're the type of person that looks at it daily, you're going to look at this small window. But if you don't have the ability to zoom out, look out at it, pull it out, then it's going to be really difficult for you to sustain keeping your money in your 401k without you feeling fearful and wanting to pull your money out every time something in the market happens, right? You have to be able to like look at things as as an investment. You have to be able to say like, okay, I'm in this for the long term because there's long-term payoff. But just like your 401k, entrepreneurship is like a ride like that. You're going to have highs and lows. And if you can just say, well, okay, I'm going to keep at it for 20 years, then at the end of 20 years, your investment, and like I said, it's like in the history of the, the stock market, there's never been a period of time over like 20 years that the stock market like 
what you have put in has not increased in value ever. And I feel like that's something that entrepreneurs have to get comfortable with. They just have to get comfortable with being able to zoom out and say, okay, I might have a down month this month, but it doesn't mean I should throw in the towel. I shouldn't panic and pull all my money out of my 401k and stop it completely. Right. And that's what I meant. What I was saying is saying, if you Hmm. can't do that, then you should not be an entrepreneur because then it's going to be just like a really cyclical wild ride for your mental health and your sanity. And it's unhealthy. But if you can have the ability to sustain that and zoom out, then it's the best. Awesome. There's a limit though, right, to how much you should invest without getting yourself in trouble. <laughs> like, yes, like being irresponsible. Cause like maybe my approach to it is that I'm confident investing money in something if I have like at least a vague idea or a plan for how it's going to come back to me. I can't know for sure and I can't maybe even predict exactly when but I'm spending money on it because I know that eventually it's going to lead to to something. Speaking in a business sense, there's plenty of things we spend money on without expecting to get any back. But I'm just looking at my um, income report from 2021 because this is something I publish annually. And last year was the first time actually I detailed the expenses that I had in the year as well. And I haven't written this year's yet, so (laughs) stay tuned for that. But I spent like two years ago basically – 19,800 pounds, which let me do a quick Google conversion rate here, 24,000 US dollars on my business in that year. That is what I spent on it. And that was like a little less than 50% of my overall income from that side of my business in that year. Question. How many of those things that you bought that you purchased were things that you needed versus things that you wanted? So like, I know Charlie likes nice things. Ooh, I did not separate that out. (laughs) We're going to need that answer right now. Yeah. No, I know you like nice things. And um, so you're like, Ooh, I could use a new computer, new MacBook. Ooh, this, that, that's a little thinner, you know, or you're like, Ooh, a new microphone. It's so funny that you have that perception of me because my partner, Mark would say the opposite and that he is always having to convince me that it's going to be worth my time to upgrade <laughs> to a new computer. Oh, I love that. That's so funny. But yeah, I guess some of the things, because I, I don't have to stick to a strict budget with my business, I guess. I never want to spend more than I'm making with it. That's for sure. Especially at this point. But I was perfectly happy and confident to spend that amount because it allowed me to hire a bunch of help. I had um, a good, maybe like 60% of it was on freelancers, contractors who could do video editing for me and VA help. So that like freed up my time. That was like really worth it for me. And that amount of money is definitely not something I would have felt confident investing in my business, even like three, four years ago, because it just wasn't making enough Mm -hmm. for that to feel warranted. But because I see now I had some like high value sponsorships and I started to see like how things compound and like a digital product idea like that I could actually make and sell something that made me more confident to invest more, especially in things that free up my time Mm -hmm. to work on those new ideas. Yeah. I think that's an interesting differentiation between both of the side hustles that I have like really been involved in. One being Happy Happy Houseplant and this next one that I'm launching, which I'm not 
fully prepared to share yet, but don't worry, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. You don't have to. You don't have to. Whereas mine require physical product. Hmm. And so that requires like a large initial investment, right? So like, for example, with Happy Happy Houseplant, one of the main product offerings with Happy Happy Houseplant is a plant food, which if you're a plant person, FYI, it's the best, like the best plant food. And so that requires a physical, like you have to invest in a whole, like you have to have obviously a wholesale license, you're buying goods up front. Also, both Mandy and I weren't, were not designers. So we had to invest in hiring somebody to Mm -hmm. design for the brand. So there were a lot of initial things, initial inputs that went into that business that are also going into my current business as well, that you have to like, we're really, you have to be really comfortable with because you're going to have like a lot of things, Charlotte or Charlotte. I just called you Charlotte. That was weird. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're talking about me? Okay. <laughs> so formal. I know. It's because, okay, I have a daughter named Charlotte. So, you know. And also it is technically my name. So it's fine. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> anyways, maybe you had that same with your t-shirt business, right? It's like, you have to buy product. No, I didn't because I was a poor student, Haley, and I printed to order. So I only <laughs> okay. bought the product and printed when people, Yeah, there are ways to do it. But I, I think that it held me back from success with that mm. business because I was doing that and because I wasn't investing in the tools to actually help me yeah. make the sales and things like that. Yeah. See, we're in a position. Yeah. You're in a position to do this and you're investing in yourself essentially by investing in this business too. Yeah. But that's like, we're investing, we're in a position to where we're saying, okay, we're going to make a $10,000 order. Yeah. Right. Like this is very different than the digital, like a business that relies on digital products. Right. Because mm-hmm. there's not a cost, like an initial cost for investment. There's no cost of goods. You're not having to keep an inventory. Yeah. Yes. And that, is something that is a lot riskier because you have to physically sell those things. I've had another small side hustle called Native and Nest. And unfortunately, my partner at the time was a very good friend. She was going through some like going through a divorce right after we launched our first kind of a curated box. But basically, it was the same thing. It required us. We created these like small little coffee table kits and they were designed to be like you buy the kit and it would instantly style and decorate your coffee table. Right. And so for us, we had like a leather ballet tray we had, and they were all like handmade goods, artisan goods. Um, we had a book, we had a plant, we had some coasters and a couple other little things. But all that said is I still have some inventory from that. Like I still have like 20 mm. valet trays, right. You know, because how much, how much did we spend on those? I'll buy one right now. My coffee table is terrible. <laughs> Yes. You know what, Miguel? I will send you some, but they're awesome. They're just, you know, like they're great for like throwing in your remote or whatever. But anyways, we projected that we were going to sell 150 of them. And I think we sold about 120. That's pretty good projection. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we made money, but I still definitely have leftover goods. And that is a risk that you take when you sell physical products. That was different because it was like a run. So once it was done, you know, it was done essentially. And we had to figure out a different way to offload that product. Whereas like the, you know, plant food, for example, like that's just going to be something that's all we're always going to carry or, you know, what we're working on, on this next project. So, like I said, I think with different business models, it's just like a different level of comfortability because we're about to drop a decent amount of money to buy some more stuff to sell. (laughs) I feel like I actually have problems spending money on things like a new phone or whatever, like we were saying before, because it's like, it's just for me, Mm. which sounds ridiculous. But like, if I, I like happy to drop several thousand dollars on a course, if it's going to be something that I can learn from and help my business, mm. 
Like it just feels like there's this layer of permission there that it's like, no, this is investing in myself. It's not spending on myself. It's investing. Mm. So it's harder for you to justify purchases when they're self-indulgent. But Yes, exactly. When you can tell yourself, oh, well, this is for the good of the business. Well, then... Yeah, get yourself a sweet new MacBook or whatever. I bought an iPad mini recently for the good of the business. <laughs> That's an example. The business was aching for it. So yeah. yeah, yeah, the business needed it so I can see myself while I'm filming a video with my teleprompter. You see, oh. like I got to be able to check the viewfinder. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. What other way? What other way is there to do it? <laughs> this conversation has made me think of this psychology term, and it's maybe you've heard of it. It's called escalation of commitment. Ooh, okay. And what that is, is let's say you've invested, like, let's say, let's use money. Let's say I've invested $100 in something and it's not exactly what I want it to be, but I have a suspicion that if I were to invest 20 more dollars, then it'll take off. And then I invest those $20 and it doesn't take off. Mm-hmm. But now I see that maybe what I should have spent my money on was something else that was $30. So now I'm going to, I buy that thing that's $30. So now I'm 150 in. So the thing with escalation from commitment, you might see where this is going is you kind of tell yourself, it's almost like that thing where gam- that gamblers have, where they're like, if if I just bet one more time, this will be the one, mm. I'll just, you know, double or nothing. And then that double or nothing doesn't work. And you're like, all right, double or nothing again. So like psychologically speaking, people tend to justify escalating their commitment to something because they think, well, I've already invested this much in it. Mm. I can't stop now or else I'm basically making the decision that I'm going to throw that money away, Mm. that I'm going to throw that effort away, whatever it is. So as a business owner, what sort of things keep you grounded from falling into that trap? You know, because it can be a trap or, but that's the thing with a gamble, right? With, with taking a risk, it could be a trap or you could be right. It could be the thing that send something that you do into the stratosphere and you go viral or whatever. Mm. If you just did that one more thing, but then that one more thing means you got more skin in it every time. So as a business owner, do you guys have any advice for people that are afraid of that? Because I know I've, I've been in similar situations like that, not as a business owner, but like everybody at some point has been in the situation when they're like, oh, well, if I just do this one more thing, then, you know, everything else that I've done will be worth it. Mm. I think it's a little bit like what Haley said at the start where you shouldn't spend money that you're not willing to lose, especially in the early stages of a business. And that if that money that you're willing to lose is actually a large amount and you keep going and going and you're happy to have tried, that's fine, I think. But you should keep it in mind, like, what is your number that you're not going to go beyond and that like what you need to, what you can, I guess, invest in it. Like for me, now that my business is profitable and that I'm making money from it, I will never spend more than I'm making in a year. I've seen that it's possible to have like a good business year without spending more than that. So I would just like try, probably invest more time than money in trying to get there if I ran into issues. What about you, Haley? I was going to say that I think a really healthy way to do it is, and this is, from my experience, it's a little challenging because like I said, as somebody who's in a partnership and a marriage and our finances, like we operate everything together, it's something that has to be like in agreement, you know, with somebody else. And that always makes running a business challenging, at least at the start, at the startup. But I think that because of that, it has required me to do things like say, okay, the initial investment is going to be 
X. And then once mm -hmm. I reach X milestone, then we can reinvest. All the while, any money that is coming into the business stays in the business, right? So we're talking about investment that comes from our own personal funds back into the business, right? And so from that first initial investment, your goal or your hope, right, is that any profits that come from the business can continue to help grow it. But I think for me, those milestones have been really helpful for me in communicating to my partner and making him feel comfortable taking an additional risk to apply them to the business. And then it keeps me in the constraint because I and more like, and I forgot the the name of this term. What was it again, Miguel? Escalation of commitment. Yeah, yeah escalation of commitment. I'd be like, oh yeah, there's another hundred bucks. Oh yeah, you know, sure. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> so I can be irresponsible in that way because I tend to be somebody that is overly confident in my like, like I'm like, this is a great fucking idea. I am going to be rich. You know, like I am overconfident in my idea sometimes. And my husband's like risk aversion brings me back to a place where I'm saying, okay, I need to be more practical about this or else I could easily get into trouble. So I think milestones, having those milestones is really important and a really good practical step for that. You know, hearing you guys say that, it's funny. Maybe you won't be surprised to hear that one of the answers to this problem from a psychology perspective is pretty close to what you're saying, which is setting milestones. I knew I was smart. <laughs> yeah. So you guys figured it out. <laughs> but the, uh, the way that you combat this is that you go into it with sort of a cutoff or a release valve or whatever you want to call it, a milestone where you sort of stop, check in, and then you know, figure out what you want to do from there. Or you set like, like a mental cap. Mm -hmm. This is how much I'm willing to spend. And beyond this point, like the risk and reward starts to drop off on that chart, you know, like I'm risking a lot more for less and less possible reward at this point. So when those things start to deviate. So it's interesting that you say that because that's exactly what a psychologist would tell you to do is say, okay, if this business, you're going to spend this amount of money and you're going to try at it for a year. And if in a year you haven't passed this threshold, then you need to reassess and not keep escalating your commitment to it because at some point it's just a money pit, right? Yeah. So the other thing that I think is really important that stops a lot of entrepreneurs from starting or trying things is this idea that things have to be perfect. And I'll call out Mandy on this one. And I think that she would be fine with that, but she is a perfectionist. Mandy's we've had her on the podcast. She's who I launched Happy Happy Houseplant with. And she would get into this analysis paralysis stage, right? Where mm -hmm. she was like, oh, well, I can't launch this until the packaging is perfect. I can't launch this until the stickers are perfect. I can't launch this until all of these different things. Now, this is obviously slightly different because of their physical goods. But I think that something that is really important for entrepreneurs to remember is that what can you do? How can you start a business from an MVP perspective and grow into it without getting into a place where you're saying, I have to have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, through 10, like all of those things have to be in line until I launch it. And some businesses, there's a list of, you know, a hundred nice to haves or want to haves, you know, but really what are the 10 need to haves before you say, okay, I'm sharing this with the world. And every type of business or different 
you know, yeah, different type of business is going to require a different list, a different MVP list for what you need in order to get started. Like, you know, for me, this direct to consumer business that I'm going to be starting, you know, with my friend and partner, Aaron, it's going to require a lot of upfront things, upfront needs that have to have before we can press start. But what is your, if you're a digital creator and you sell, I don't know. Now I'm a font. A font. You sell a font. That's what I sell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the barrier to entry to sell a font is really so you could do that on on ConvertKit, right? The barrier to entry to sell. I in fact do do it on ConvertKit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and so that requires very little investment, and it doesn't like you know. So you can sit at your computer and you can create a landing page and you can set up your commerce profile and you can sell your font, and you don't have to have a branding specialist inventory of fun. inventory and you don't have to have had a branding specialist. I ran out of the letter R I'm just all out of R. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so I think that there's just this reminder that this is something like starting a business and earning money and making money. I think Nathan does a really fantastic job about talking about this because Nathan has gotten good at learning. He's has, share this in personal stories and private stories. But as a young child, he decided like, I'm going to learn how to make money and making money is a skill, right? It is a skill. Mm -hmm. And there are some businesses that require just so little investment into before you start seeing profits and returns. And so I think that's another question that you should ask yourself as an entrepreneur, right? Is like, what is the right type of business for me? Do I have the ability financially and or emotionally? Because quite honestly, it's emotionally time consuming to start a business that requires me to carry inventory and to make a big upfront investment. Or should I start by selling and actually, I know that creating a font is very difficult. Charlie, I know it took you a while to get that font perfect, but you get my point. But it was time I was investing rather than exactly money yeah. after it. Yeah, you're right. And that's the beauty, I think, of being a digital content creator or doing any sort of thing digital online is like you said, you really like, you can do it all yourself to get started with. There's yeah. not like anything that you have to spend money on in order to get started with what you're doing. And I think that we can get imposter syndrome about that and feel like, oh, I can't actually like make myself a logo. I can't possibly start without that. But guess what? And this is coming from a designer. There's a million freaking logo generator sites out there that you can just grab one from for now yeah. until you're making money. And then you can invest in getting the brand that you yeah. really want. Good call out, Haley. Not to mention having a product out there, whether digital or otherwise, you learn a lot from that. You get customer mm -hmm. feedback. You see if it's selling like crazy or if it's not. You know, maybe you were like, I don't want to put this out yet. And then you put it out and it sells like crazy. And then you're like, well, maybe it didn't need to be as perfect as I wanted it to be because it's selling just fine without there we go. what I consider to be perfect. Or maybe it doesn't sell that well, but that teaches you something too, right? So then you start to iterate or maybe you can try and figure out why it is that it's not selling that well. And it may not be the product itself. It might be the way that you're reaching out to your community or not reaching out to your community. It could be any one of many things. So it's constantly iterating and changing and learning about the process as you go. And until you are out there, you're not going to be. You're limiting the opportunities to learn if you're holding everything so close to your chest because you want it to be perfect, which I think is something we've talked about a lot. 
Yeah. One thing I will say, I think that's challenging about this conversation is that this conversation can be so wide and vast, right? Like my experience compared to Charlie's experience is vastly different compared to Miguel's experience, you know, creating like all his wood projects um, are so vastly different as far as like ways to make money. I was going to say, yeah, outfitting your barber. Like that took time and energy and it was like all these different things. And a lot of equipment and materials and things. Yeah. So vastly different. And going back to my point is that that's why I think that this conversation is hard because when you ask yourself the question is, is like, as a creator, what's the best way to approach money? And I think at the very minimum, when, you know, we think about like three things or three ways, the most important thing as a creator is that you evaluate like how much money can you invest? Yep. Like that is the most practical question that you can ask yourself. How much money can I invest? And the important first one to ask. Yes. And the second question is, is, am I willing to lose that? Mm. Am I willing to lose that money and not see it come back immediately? Like, can I afford to lose that money? And depending, it's like a decision tree, you know what I mean? And if the answer is yes, then cool, great. (laughs) You know, if the answer is no, then maybe you should reevaluate how much money you're willing to invest, right? You circle back and you're like, all right, I need to relook at that. And then I think the third one just kind of goes back to that conversation that we were having just previously is what is actually needed in order for me to launch like to launch this business am i stuck in that stage where it's analysis paralysis what's the mvp in order for me to invest into this business to actually get a return on investment right what does that look like for me so I don't know. I just, I felt like I wanted to like pull the conversation back and give some like really practical advice centered around that. Because, you know, like I said, my experience is so vastly different. It's like, I might have to, you know, invest $20,000 right up front with my business partner where Charlie, you might've launched your business with $5, you know, yeah, and time. Like, no, I think this is good to tie it up like that, Haley, and to say as well that don't let anyone tell you there's one right way to mm-hmm. budget or one right amount you should be spending on your business as a creator. Like it's going to depend so much on you, your situation, not only your income you're earning, but also your family situation like you called out, Haley, and what other responsibilities you have. This is ultimately a decision that you have to make for yourself. But I hope that what we have shared has been useful in informing that decision that you make. Yeah. Thank you, ladies, for wrapping it up for me. You made my job easier. I'm sorry, Miguel. (laughs) No, no, no. Why are you apologizing? You did my job for me. Now I can just move on to the next segment, which happens to be a listener shout out or just shout outs in general, I think is what it's turning into because uh, we're not getting as many listener shout outs as we would like, uh, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) You're not supposed to say that out loud, Miguel. Well, it's true. It's true. It is true. And people should go. Go to convertk.it forward slash listener shout out. And we would be more than happy. We would love it. To (laughs) chat out your business, or it can just be something that you are doing yourself that you want to celebrate. Maybe you've reached a milestone in, in whatever projects that you're working on. Let us talk about you. But today, instead of that, I wanted to talk about our creator stories, which Issa, who has been on this podcast before, I recently listened to her most recent one. And it was, uh, it's about a 20 minute listen or so, or you can read along, but it's this wonderful story about an artist who moved to Thailand. And I don't want to give too much away, but I highly recommend you go to convertkit.com forward slash resources forward slash creator dash stories. And if you don't remember that URL, it's really easy to find. Just use the nav bars. I think you can actually go to convertkit.com slash stories is a short URL for it. Even better. Yep. Even better. Less to remember. 
highly recommend you check that out. It's really good for inspiration, really good for advice, really good to see somebody who's probably on a similar journey than you are. So yeah, go check that out. Oh, and uh, we will be having Convert Kids conference this week. So if you're listening yeah. to this and you're going to be there, we'll be really excited to meet creators in person and remember what it's like to be in front of other people. Miguel, you're coming, <laughs> right? You're coming. Oh, I'll be there. Okay. Let's check in. Just me who's not, just me to lose them. I'll be teaching a class. <laughs> yeah. Just Char- Charlie's name. Right? Oh, nice. I will also be teaching a class. Yes. Cool. A workshop. Yep. Well, if uh, you're going to be there, well, we'll see you there. And then if not, uh, I will chat next week where I'll be hosting again. And we'll be talking about what are we supposed to do with our email lists? Like, <laughs> what do you even do with those? <laughs> Tune in next week to find out. Good topic. Good topic. Great topic. <laughs> I know a company that deals with this. Really? We should have some advice, I hope. Yeah. (laughs) I hope so. Well, anyways, let's not drag this out any further. Ladies, thank you so much for coming by. And uh, we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com slash free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.